So I'm really excited for the dance projection. I think it's working. And so we're going to play a game. Are you ready for the game? Yeah. If you get the test in the morning, so I don't know how this game is going to work. But the game is called Real Fake. So I'm going to show you a picture. And if you think it's a real picture, you can't control other people. Try and work this on your own. You have to stand up. And if you think it's uh, being digitally altered or it's fake, sit down. Okay, you ready? Okay, the first picture. Shark attacks helicopter. Real or fake? If you think it's really stand up, if you think it's fake, sit down. Okay, that's good. It was fake. <laughs> okay, next one. These toddlers are twins. Real or fake? Oh, it's real. Oh, yeah. It's real! Yes! It was taken in 2005 to mixed race parents. Okay, next picture. Monster crocodile found in the Congo. Real or fake? Yeah, I'm standing up. Is the Congo real? It's real. It was taken in 2003. There's a fake one. Some people use this story to say it happened in New Orleans, but that's the fake part. But um, it was found in the Congo. Next one. Einstein biking away from a nuclear test site. Real or fake? <laughs> <laughs> Cat Mountain in the Ukraine, real or fake? Orchard resembles a monkey face, real or fake?
But, on the other hand, we're also attracted to fantasy. We love superhero movies. You know, you can play on Xbox or games or books. You can get lost in a world for hours. We love playing around with what we look like. And depending on how much money we have, we can change anything. Hair colour, eye colour, body shape, clothes. We can change who we want to be. We can project a certain version of ourselves. We can create online personas or even just in social situations. We can change depending what the situation is. We don't really want always to know the truth. We just want people to tell us the nice stuff. And we doubt everything. We're cynics. We don't trust anyone. What do the experts know? They know nothing. We can work it out for ourselves. And we kind of go through phases, you know. You pick up an identity, you get bored of that identity, you just cast it off, become somebody else. It's very fluid who we are. Uh, an extreme example, there's a small group of het mostly heterosexual men in Germany who are into this thing called masking. Has anyone ever heard of masking? It's um, when they want to be like female living dolls. So it's like creating this alter ego version of yourself and it's like really intense process but they have to get um, themselves with latex so they're fully covered in like this plastic material and they're trying to experiment or uh, escape who they are and be somebody else. And one of the... Um, men who, do, uh, who does this, says this, this is why he does it. You're encapsulated, like in a cocoon, and no one can see if you laugh or cry. That's what I like, the feeling of being unknown. Now, maybe you haven't done that, I'm not sure if it's taken off as a trend in Australia. But there's this tension we have between real and fake. On one hand, the feeling of being unknown can sometimes be an exciting possibility. Like you go to a new city, nobody knows who you are, and you're like, I could be anyone, I could start afresh. There's something exciting about being anonymous. But then on the other hand, it can get really lonely to feel like nobody really knows who you are. Real fantasy. This tension that we walk, and I think most of us are like trying to walk like a tightrope, trying to figure out how real can I be in this situation? How vulnerable can I be? Or how much do I need to mask or hide? So here's Jesus giving this great sermon. And he's looking around and he can see how people are reacting as he's speaking. And you know, some people look like they're really into it. They're like nodding, smiling, writing notes. Maybe they're even shouting out, Amen, preacher brother, we love what we're hearing. And there are other people who are like really tired and yawning, falling asleep. The Pharisees are probably up the back and they're probably getting really angry and look like they want to argue. And there's people who doubt everything that Jesus is saying. <coughs> now Jesus is coming to the end of his sermon here. And so, you know, maybe everyone's starting to lull <laughs> a bit into all, all that he's been saying. So I think he needs to shake it up a little bit here. So he, he wobbles the tightrope and he raises the question, how do you know what is real or fake? This is what he says in verse 13. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. <coughs> Jesus says, you've got to choose the path. Now this might be hard for some of us because we don't always like decisions, like you have to choose what you're going to build your life on. So we might put it off and be like, no, 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 we need to read more, we need to research more, we need to experiment and try more things. You can do that, but in the end, Jesus says you've got to commit to something. 
You've got to commit what path are you going to walk on, what life are you going to build? So then the question becomes, how do you decide what path you're going to walk on? Because there's so many different paths you could choose. Now in the ancient world, um, paths was often an image people used to talk about finding a good life. How do you find a good life? Now when the ancient people asked that question, they meant, um, how do you live a moral life? We often separate those two things out, but to live a good life is to live a moral life. And so philosophers are trying to work out what is the best way to live. So let me give you an example. 400 years before Jesus, there was a Greek philosopher named Eugenius, who's part of the philosophical movement that became known as the Cynic Movement. And he writes this letter to his dad about what he's learning at philosopher school. He says, oh, today, my teacher took me up to the Acropolis, like in Athens, and we were standing at the summit. And my teacher said, look, there are two ways you could get up this summit. One is long and easy, and the other is steep and difficult. Which way would you choose to go? Now, I don't know what you would say. Jesus looked and he said, I would choose the steep and difficult way. And his teacher handed him a staff and he said, you have made the right decision. You have graduated from philosophical school school. You are now a cynic. Um, not cynic in how we mean the word now. It's kind of changed. But for the cynics, the hard and difficult way was the way where you found true life, moral life. So that's one path you could choose to walk on. Another path, similar in some ways, but in a totally different part of the world, um, maybe around like Nepal, 400 years before Jesus, there was a man named Katama who was preaching a sermon. And he had been thinking and meditating for a long time about what life was all about. Now, he came from a Hindu context. So Hindus believe that life is this cycle of rebirth. Now, when we think of reincarnation, sometimes we think it's really exciting. But actually, for Hindu people, to be in reincarnation cycle is a terrible thing. Like just endlessly going through this cycle of death and rebirth so the question was, how do you escape that? How do you live a full life? And Katama had been thinking about this, and he came to a realization. He said, the real life is found when you walk the middle way. So you don't want to go to asceticism. You don't want to like hurt yourself and deny yourself so much. And you don't want to go to um, <clears throat> hedonism, so pleasure, just seeking pleasure. You want the middle way. And he's like, I've got the perfect path for you. It's called the Eightfold Noble Path. If you follow these eight practices, you will be able to escape the cycle of rebirth. So the eight practices are, if you might remember, um, right perspective, so having a right perspective on life, right resolve, right speech, so not lying, um, telling the truth in your speech, right conduct, so no killing, um, right livelihood, living simply, not beyond your beyond what you need, so don't have any excess, right effort, right concentration, so being always um, aware of what you're doing, being conscious of what you're doing, and right mindfulness, so practicing meditation. If you do those practices, you will find a good life. Now, I don't know how you feel about hearing those things, you're like, they're not the Bible, why is she talking about that? But I think it's interesting to hear how other people think um, the good life is to be found. And I don't know about you, but often when I hear those views, I'm always like, there's some good stuff in there. There's some wise words that said. Um, in one quote, they said some good things. They did some good things. But they're also human. So in the other quote, I mean, they said some things I might not agree with today. They did some wrong. How do you work out 
What is the right path? And there's so many different ideas about what leads to a good life. So one of the provocative claims that Jesus made about himself, which Gautama and Zadini, the philosopher, never did, was that he said, I'm the son of God. I'm the image of the invisible God. So that these words that Jesus has been saying aren't words that he's come up with because he's thought a really long time about it, or he's been watching people and he's like, I've had a break, I suddenly understand humanity. No, Jesus says, these words that I'm teaching you come to me from God. It's like God's perspective. I'm giving you God's perspective on the world. Now, that's a really provocative claim. So we've got to work out, is Jesus real? Like, is, is he claim to be the Son of God real? Now, if it is real, then his words are the most important words you ever hear. Like, that's the words you want to really wrestle with and understand and live out. Because it's not just some human uh, thinking about stuff. It's God giving us a perspective on what life is all about. If it's not real, then Jesus is fake. And worse than fake, it's like kind of crazy delusion to be saying, I'm God. If he's not God, then we should not be listening to anything he's saying. Like, that's crazy talk. So we're going to go with, it's real. Let's pretend it's real and see what we learn from Jesus. So Jesus says, and this is Jesus giving us God's perspective, yes, there are lots of paths you can choose from. And some paths you're going to be drawn to because they sound serious. You know, sometimes serious paths sound good because they have lots of rules. You're like, yes, maybe it's a personality thing too. You're like, I love lots of rules. I'm just going to accomplish all those rules and then we're going to find the good life. So some of us might, might try to do that. The problem is that we will probably stumble and fail at some point and then maybe choose a different path. I think most people, though, choose the attractive path, the one that's easy, kind of the path that everyone's kind of going on. I think most people don't even make a conscious decision about what they're going to build their life on. They just kind of go with the flow. You know, I'm just going to follow capitalism. I'm just going to follow whatever the latest celebrity says. I'm just going to follow what my friends say. Have you ever been in a big crowd? Like when you're in a big crowd, sometimes it's like it takes a life of its own and it's moving or like you're moving and you're not even sure how you're moving. I remember after the carols in the domain, like that's lots of people moving. There's like people pressed up really close to you and it feels like your feet are on the ground, but you're going anyway. I think that's often what happens in life. You're just going along you know, on the flow and not even making a conscious decision. What is life all about? Well, Jesus says, watch out. There are so many paths you can choose from and they're going to look attractive. But they don't leave what they want. They're incomplete. They're so what is the path that leads to real life? Jesus says, find the narrow gate. Go on the narrow road. What is the narrow gate? It's Jesus. Jesus says, that's why I'm here. I am building a path to help you connect back to God. And this is a path that is open to the poor in spirit, those who mourn, those who hunger and thirst for justice and mercy. This is the path saturated with the grace of God. The Son of God came to build a path and Jesus is literally walking on this path and this path leads to the cross. Jesus will lay down his life so that people might experience real life. And Jesus is pretty upfront. He says, you know, not everybody's stampeding trying to get onto this path. It's not always the most popular path. It's not the most attractive path. You're going to have to consciously decide sometimes to go against what everyone else is doing. But it's the path Jesus has walked. And you're not actually alone. Jesus is still walking with you. God's Spirit is still with us. So we have to decide, is Jesus really the Son of God? 
Because you see, if it is, and these words we need to take really seriously, these are words that we need to commit to. That's what Jesus is calling us here, to commit and choose to walk the narrow road. Verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you'll recognize them. Okay, so you choose a narrow path. You're walking down the path, and then Jesus says, Watch out! Beware of false prophets. And he uses this image of wolves in sheepskin. Now, actually, this is, I found that it's interesting, really. Let me show you an interesting historical fact. There was a Jewish writer named Josephus who writes a little bit after Jesus. And he writes about um, when the Romans come and um, lay siege and destroy Jerusalem in the end. But anyway, before they destroy Jerusalem's on the siege, and the people are trying to survive, so you need food, otherwise you'll starve and die. So some people sneak out of the city, they choose uh, part of the city where it's like steep and difficult, so there's not as many Roman soldiers guarding that particular area, and they sneak out at night so they're less likely to be discovered, and they wear sheepskin so that if the Roman soldiers happen to see them, the hope was that they would think that they were dogs. This is a quote from Josephus, that they would believe that they were dogs. So this is actually a common disguise that people used in war to actually use sheepskin and to pretend to be an animal um, to go out of the city. So I think Jesus like, picks up on this image and then plays with it a bit and he says, okay, well, forget humans pretending to be sheep or dogs. Imagine wolves pretending to be sheep. Now, what do wolves want to eat? They want to eat sheep. So all they have to do is dress up as a sheep and then they'll be able to devour the wolves the sheep. Um, so it's a clever disguise. So what do you do? Jesus says, watch out. There's going to be people in disguise. There's going to be people who are false prophets. Now, there are many people you might consider false prophets, but I think in particular Jesus is talking about people who say they're Christians, people who say they're followers of Jesus. Yeah, I'm walking on this narrow road with you, but maybe have other motives. So watch out for heretics. Watch out for people who say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, and then like contradict everything Jesus said. We can sometimes accuse people of being heretics a little bit too freely on Facebook sometimes. So we need wisdom if we don't call someone a heretic. But watch out for people who are contradicting Jesus' teaching. Watch out for charlatans. Watch out for people who use the name of Jesus or Christianity and really are after getting money, like con artists. Watch out for them. Watch out for people who uh, are in leadership and abuse their power um, to gain more power for themselves and end up hurting the community. Watch out for people who perform wonders and miracles. Sometimes you can be dazzled and like, wow, wonders, miracles. But they can still be false prophets. Watch out for people who say, I have a revelation from God. And it is the same as Jesus. Like, it's the same way. You should take it just as seriously as what Jesus said. Watch out for false prophets. And the hard thing about false prophets is that they're going to say stuff we want to hear. So the prophet Jeremiah had a pretty sad message to bring. He had a message of judgment. He said, judgment is coming unless you repent. Now while Jeremiah was giving that message, there were false prophets. And they were saying, no, everything's going to be okay. God will never destroy this city. You're safe. And you want to listen to the false prophets because it's what you want to hear. So how can you tell 
who is real or fake? Well, the good thing is, is that disguises don't last for long. And Jesus changes the image here to try and answer this question. He changes it to a tree. He says, picture a tree. Now, for the people who are hearing this message, um, a tree has a really strong resonance with the Jewish people. So imagine Psalm 1. They would have thought about Psalm 1. And Psalm 1 speaks about um, a tree, or someone who really takes God's word seriously, is like a tree planted by the stream. So no matter what's happening, like wet, cold, dry, um, because they are planted by the stream, because they're taking God's word seriously, they bear fruit. Their leaf does not wither. So Jesus says, if you want to know who is real and who might be faking it, look at what they do. Look at the fruit that they bear. We tend to sometimes just look at people's gifts, like what skills they have, but Jesus is looking at their character. What type of person are they? Have a look by what they do. Because if they're a person who takes God's word seriously, and they're meditating on it, they're not just like flicking through the Bible quickly, but really wanting to follow Jesus' word, then there should be some evidence of that in their lives. Um, a real disciple is someone who is a student of Jesus, and that's what we are called to. Sometimes there's this weird thing, although I think we're correcting it now, but sometimes people thought like you can be a Christian, you can't be a disciple of Jesus. I'm not sure how they came to that conclusion, but they thought, I can believe in Jesus, but I don't actually have to follow what Jesus is saying. Like, that's for serious Christians. I don't think that's true. I think everybody who wants to trust in Jesus as their saviour also needs to trust in Jesus as their Lord. And so taking Jesus' words seriously, sitting underneath Jesus and going, you are the teacher. You're like, God speaking to me, I'm going to take it seriously. Now the good news is, is that we don't have to do that by ourselves. When we take God's word seriously and God's spirit is with us and planting that word deep into our hearts and to our lives so that it bears fruit. So if you're looking for people to be influenced in or shaped by, look for people who are humbly trying to work out what it looks like to follow Jesus now. Look for people who are putting into practice everything that Jesus has been saying. Look for people who deal with their anger in a godly way. Look for people who are faithful in their relationships. Look for people who keep their word. Look for people who forgive and love their enemies. Look for people who pray. Look for people who aren't making money just for themselves, but who are generous, who serve. Look for people who are prepared to admit I sin and who want to be held accountable. Spend time among those people. Jesus says, you should know who a real disciple is by their actions. Because everything I'm giving in the Sermon of the Mount is a pretty practical sermon. It's all about real things that real people should be able to do. And so that's what we need to have some evidence of in our lives. Real or fake, Jesus <coughs> wobbles the tightrope one last time. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I'll tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. You choose to follow Jesus. You're walking the narrow road, you're like, not being misled by false prophets. You're trying to live out Jesus' teaching. There's one more danger to be aware of. Sometimes you can be focused so much on actions that your relationship with God will. Like you start seeing these things that Jesus is saying as small rules to follow. 
when you're so busy doing that that you have no time almost for God and you can forget God. And then if you do that, the narrow way just becomes lifeless. It just becomes like all the other parts. We're just kind of faking it, going through the motions. Fantasy can be good. You know, sometimes fiction can help us um, realize the deeper truth. So there's this um, really old story now. It's called A Pilgrim's Progress. It's an allegory. And about nine years ago, I don't know if anyone was here, but the youth group adapted it as a play to make the English easier to understand, and the youth group performed it. But I'll tell you the story, because I don't think many people remember it. So the story is about a person named Christian, like it's a really strong allegory, who is um, in a city of destruction, and he realizes that his city is about to destroy it, and he has this heavy weight on his back, the weight of sin on his back. And the character Evangelist comes up and tells Christian the good news. You've got to find the narrow gate. That's the way to life. And the Christian's really excited, and he goes on his journey. It takes him a while. He goes through um, some different places. But finally, he enters through the narrow gate, and he sees the cross of Christ. And when he sees the cross of Christ, his burden falls, and he's free. That's the act in the back one. The story continues. Often we think the story stops there. But the story continues. So after he's free of his sin, he's still walking along the narrow road. And he still has some challenges. He has to go up the hill of difficulty, um, into the valley of the shadow, and then he goes to Vanity Fair. And finally, he reaches the enchanted plains. So he's been a Christian for a long time. He knows all the jargon. He knows all the right things he's supposed to do. Now, I'm going to get um, Tim and Jasmine to come up, and they're going to read you a bit from this part of the story. And I want you um, to listen to them and, and think about, have you ever found yourself having this conversation with God? Now we're getting somewhere. 
working together, you and me. Lord, if you don't mind, I need to finish up here. This is taking me longer than usual. Give us this day our daily bread. This isn't just bread from the bakery. Hey, wait a minute. What is this? I was doing my religious duty, and all of a sudden, you break in and hassle me about it. Praying is a dangerous thing. You might just get what you asked for. Remember, you called me, and here I am. It's too late to stop now. Keep going. I'm scared. Scared? Of what? The next part of the prayer. Go on. Forgive us our sins, as we forgive those who sin against us. What about Grace? See, I knew you'd bring her up. You know what she did against me. But your prayer. I didn't mean it. I think I'm just going to go through the motions. No one else knows. I can just pretend. Keep looking busy like I serve you. Look, at least you're honest. But it's quite a load carrying all that bitterness and resentment, isn't it? Let's start by forgiving Grace. You're right. You always are. I forgive her. I do feel better. I haven't been sleeping well. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine kingdom come, and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Do you know what would really bring me glory? What would really make me happy? No, but I'd like to try. I want to please you again. I've really made a mess of things. I want to follow you again. How can I make you happy? You just did. So I wonder if any of you could identify with Christian. Maybe you find yourself in the enchanted plane, feel a bit disconnected from God, just going through the motions. Or maybe you've never really connected with God in the first place. It's not easy, but real life is found in a relationship with God. Yes, how we live matters, and Jesus has been sharing about how we have to live. But more important than that is our relationship with God and drawing close to God. Because when we draw close to God, out of that <coughs> comes, our relation, comes our life and comes the road that we're walking on. Jesus' words are quite challenging here. And I think there's this pull that Jesus knows that we are pulled towards fantasy, we're pulled towards lies, we're pulled towards the other attractive paths. We're pulled towards wanting to hide from God. We're pulled towards faking it and just doing it in our own strength. And so Jesus in this section pulls back and three times warns us with some pretty challenging words. Keep your eyes fixed on the Father. Walk in step with the Spirit and take Jesus' words seriously because that is where real life is found. If we want to be authentic disciples of Jesus, then it's found here listening to Jesus' words and living it out in relationship. Let me pray.